If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him you are an answer to prayer. Some of you need, some of you need to say it by faith, especially if you're sitting by your spouse. But tell them you are an answer to prayer. I want to know all of you here to know every individual in this room is an absolute answer to prayer. Now, some of you, your mama prayed for you to get here. Your spouse prayed you here. However you got here. But I'm, uh, all of you, in some way or other, maybe your parents didn't pray for you to get here. Maybe you showed up unexpectedly. <laughs> you might not have got here by their plan. But that's okay. You got here. It didn't take God by surprise. Because he had nine months. Just you and him. Scripture says, while I was in my mother's womb, God was knitting me together, putting his purpose and plan and destiny in my life. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he, that's how much he loves you. But today, I want to I encourage you today. Now, we're going to look at a prayer here, a couple of prayers here today. You are, a, you are an answer not only to just other prayers, and maybe that is the case, but you are an answer to a prayer that Jesus himself prayed. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to look at that moment when Jesus prayed for you. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. That just means they gambled for his clothes. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. People that were here witnessing what happened when Jesus was hanging on that cross are all there by purpose, really representing all people groups. There were the religious people. They were there. As a matter of fact, they were mocking him and saying, save yourself. There were the Roman soldiers representing really the rest of the world, the Gentile world. And they were saying, save yourself. And then there were the criminals, the thieves who were on the crosses crucified with him. One of them, the scripture says, was mocking him saying, save yourself. They did not have any idea what was going on. They had no idea what was happening. And Jesus clearly tells us, doesn't he? They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't see that that sin that they're in is being transferred over onto me right now. They can't see into the spirit world. All they can see is what they see. They had no idea that the very thing that they were doing was the thing that he was paying for. Blaspheming and reviling him and and yet, there he was looking at them. Now, I, I, I'm astounded by this for a couple of things. This is Jesus who is perfectly innocent for what he's done. I mean, he's there hanging on a cross, dying a criminal's death, and he's completely innocent. An innocent man, if he's being charged, wrongfully charged, wrongfully accused, he's going to say something about that. No, I didn't do that. I'm not guilty of that. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. 
They're going to cry out and do whatever they can to maintain their innocence. But Jesus thought it right to say, forgive them. I'm willing at this moment, saying I'm willing at this moment to take the blame for what they did. If you'll credit what I'm doing, then they can be forgiven. If you'll blame me for what they do, then they can be forgiven. If you'll pass the sentence on me, then they can walk away free and innocent. That's extraordinary to me. Because before he said these words, Jesus had already said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook Jesus. He forsook his only son. That is, he turned away from him. Jesus had never known anything like this. He had always had eternal communion with God. And now he has, he's been ripped away from his father. And he, 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 has, he has no way to practice for this. He has no way to rehearse for this. He's living in the moment and he feels God's presence leave him. And he senses and he knows that all the sins of the world are upon him. And yet out there in all of that darkness and all of that, that forsaken state from Almighty God, he, 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 he has no assurance that God's even listening to him, ladies and gentlemen. Can you imagine this? He has no assurance at this moment. He doesn't know him. All he knows, he's forsaken by God. And yet he, by faith, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now turn over to Acts chapter 7. Say this, I am an answer to prayer. Acts chapter 7, and they, verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Stephen, Stephen is the first martyr in the church. The first one recorded, killed for the gospel's sake. He is being pummeled with rocks. He's dying a painful and gruesome death. By their hands, his life is being ripped away from him. And he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. That's extraordinary to me. Because it's, it's hard to imagine he would say something like this. When you look back just a few verses, look at verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. Y'all help me out this morning, all right? Can I get an amen this morning? All right. Look what he says, all right? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. This is not a nice sermon. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Which of the prophets? Those who foretold, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers. Your daddies killed all the prophets that talked about Jesus who was coming, and then when he got here, you all betrayed him and killed him. This is the kind of message they're hearing. This kind of church service they're sitting in, right? I mean, this is a scathing message. Who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it? You who, who hold this law as the highest thing, none of you have been able to keep it. So he's calling them betrayers, murderers, and now he's calling them hypocrites. 
what? How does it go from that? From that kind of message, that kind of attitude to, Lord, don't charge them with this. What happened? Where was the shift? What took place in, in him to go from that point? Because, I mean, if, he's, if I'm him, I'm saying, fire, come down from heaven. Kill all of them. Right? As soon as they start picking up rocks, say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. No, 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 that ain't happening. Instead of crying out, avenge my blood. Instead of crying out for justice, he says, don't charge them with this sin. How can this man make that kind of a turn after the kind of message that he just preached? Something happened between that message and that statement. Verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What did he see? He saw Jesus making intercession. He saw Jesus standing there as the mediator between God and man. He saw that scarred up son of the living God whose vesture is dipped in blood. He looked upon that once for all sacrifice, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And he saw him standing there, mediating between God and man, interceding for us. And he began to act like Jesus at that moment. He got his eyes full of Jesus, and then when he got his eyes full of Jesus, then he got his words full of Jesus' words. The very same prayer that Jesus prayed at that cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what to do. He utters those very words, even in his dying breath, just like his Savior, do not charge them with this sin. That was the turning point. That was the moment that changed everything. If someone can get a glimpse, if they can really see Jesus for who he is, then that'll change a man's heart. That'll change how we react to others. That'll change how we live our lives. That will change what we say. Because everything in the natural goes against this kind of thinking. You have to live in this realm of faith to have this kind of testimony. What? That changed everything. He saw this Jesus whom they they had betrayed and murdered. He saw him in all of his glory. And in all of his glory, he's praying for us. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, Hebrews chapter 7. So instead of reacting to their injustice, he responded to Jesus. And there just happened to be a certain guy that was there when he was stoned. Verse 58 says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was one of those who were there that Stephen prayed for. We know him as who? Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That is, Saul thought what happened to Stephen was good. 
he was in agreement. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Everybody say, havoc of the church. Entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul is not a nice guy. He hates the church. He hates the message of Christ. And he's doing everything he can to destroy these people and this message. Doesn't care if it's, if it's women. Men and women don't care. Drag them off, take them to prison. A lot of them died, were executed for it. Stephen had interceded for Saul. And when he did that, ladies and gentlemen, it looked like everything got worse. After he prayed, it looked like things got worse. Because that's what, that's what happened here in, that, in chapter, I mean, Paul went, I mean, Saul went nuts at this point, trying to destroy all of them that spoke like Peter did. If you could compare him to somebody today, it would be, some, it would be Osama bin Laden. He was the number one terror to the church of, of that day. Men and women alike being dragged out of their homes, thrown into prison. The thing about Saul was he believed that he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Amen. He was sincerely believing that he, what he was doing was right, that it was for God. Because his religion, he was so trapped in his religion that that's what told him. That's what made sense to him. These guys are trying to dismantle what I've always known. These guys are trying to destroy everything that I was raised in. And so I have to deal with them for the cause, for the sake of God. And he was definitely pro-God, no doubt. Saul was pro-God. The guy had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He was pro-God. However, he was anti-church. He was anti-Christ. That's in the world today. A lot of people are pro-God. Just don't bring Jesus into the picture and we'll all be cool. Because Jesus is, he draws the line in the sand. You got to deal with this man because he said unreasonable things. He didn't just have some good teachings to, to try to be, to try to live by and think positively about. He wasn't just some other prophet out there among many. Jesus made crazy statements that you, all of us as individuals have to deal with. One of those was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I am a way, I'm another option, if you please. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. There are not many truths. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other life but me. No one comes to the Father but by me. Religions are continually building roads to something on the other side, building roads to access to God or to eternal bliss of some way and by their actions, by what they do. And they all will lead to God, but it will be God the judge of all mankind. But Jesus said, the road you get on, me, this road, I'll take you to the Father, not to the judge. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Men can't build a road to the Father, so God built, the Father built a road to us through his Son, and that is the way to eternal life. Saul was doing everything he could to destroy what God had begun. He was 
for God, but he was against the church. And that's pretty silly to say today, and I've heard Christians say, I love God, I just don't love the church. And that'd be like me telling Heather, I love you, I just don't love your body. I mean, I love you, but I just really can't stand the way you look. That is messed up. That's, none of that's true. But we'll talk about that later. The scripture says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The problem with being pro-God and anti-Christ or anti-church is you cannot separate the two. You can't separate these two things. Let's look at Acts chapter 9. Are you with me? You can't love God and hate his church. Acts chapter 9, look at this. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I mean, this guy is ready to kill everybody. So he gets this letter of recommendation from the high priest to go and do whatever he can to stop these people from, from uh, furthering this message. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. I thought Saul was persecuting the church. I thought Saul was persecuting believers. Yep. And according to Jesus, it's the same thing. Amen. If you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. If you're injuring them, you're injuring me. If you're speaking evil of them, you're speaking evil of me. Jesus takes it personally when you come under attack. He takes it personally. Why? Because you are the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. You are the body of Christ. You guys pinched each other earlier. You have green on? Kind of. I'm going to pinch you anyway. Okay. Right? What am I pinching? Which is what? Right? She would say, if, normally, if I, if I pinched her, she'd say, oh, you pinched me. She wouldn't call out that I pinched her arm because her arm is part of who she is. Right. It's her. I heard this statement one time. A young man came up to a, an older theologian and said, aren't you glad? Isn't it good to know that we are safe in the arms of Jesus? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm more assured than being safe in the arms of Jesus. He said, how can you be more secure than being safe in the arms of Jesus. He said, young man, I'm not safe in the arms of Jesus. I'm safe as an arm of Jesus. Hallelujah. And Jesus don't have, amp he's not amputated. He doesn't have missing parts. Hallelujah. I'm safe as an arm. I am the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. That is, he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate 
nor drank. Everything Saul knew, ladies and gentlemen, you got to get this from everything that he knew up to this point was completely flipped in this one experience, in this one revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, everything was changed. I mean, all that he knew, all the education that he had that, that had taught him up to this point, everything that he had aspired to be and to do, all of a sudden it was all turned upside down. And he saw life a whole different Why? Because he saw Jesus. The same kind of response. Same kind of response that when that, 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 that brave martyr stood there with those rocks taking his life from him, said, do not lay this charge against them. After he saw Jesus, here now Saul is, being there and being the answer to that prayer, has a revelation, sees Jesus, and everything in him changes. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? See, that ought to do something in our hearts. When we have a revelation of Jesus, when you understand who he is, it will do something on the inside of you that says, I got to do something about this great love. I have to do something. He died for me. He took away all my sins. He, he by himself, he did that for me. He washed away all my sins. He took the punishment for my sins. I have to do something for him. Right. I owe him. It's only right that I don't see my life as just doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. But understand that I am bought with a price. My life, my life was the price of his blood. He's deemed me worthy enough to die for me. Well, were we worthy enough? Apparently we were. We didn't think we were. But God apparently thought we were worth the death of his son. There's nobody in this room that's worth the death of my son. To me, I wouldn't give him for any of you. That's why it's hard to imagine the kind of love that God has given us. We see things like this. Don't lay this charge against them. When we are totally guilty and deserve punishment. But even in the face of all that, he says, forgive them. And God took this prayer that Stephen prayed. And he says, I won't charge him. I'll call him. He didn't just forgive him and be merciful to him of his crime. God extended grace to him. He said, you're going to be part of what I'm doing now. Look at this. Galatians chapter 1, Paul says this, verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, or that is everything that I had ever known, this world of religion I was living in, called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. I want to just take this moment to tell all of you here today that there is Nothing that you have done or are doing or ever will do that can outreach the grace and the love and forgiveness of Almighty God. Because Jesus prayed for you. And he said, Father, forgive them. And guess what the Father did? He forgave you. He forgave you. Before you ever even showed up, he forgave you. There are three men 
that wrote most of the scriptures. Paul, Moses, and David. They wrote the majority of the scriptures. And all three of these men have one thing in common. They all murdered somebody. Now, can God turn something around? Can he turn a life around that he could take these former murderers and make them, make them the largest writers of scripture? What can he do with you? What sin have you committed that you think, oh, there's just no way? I said, there's nothing that you have done, are doing, or will do that overextends as, or comes out of the reach of, gets out of the reach of his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. That's an amazing thought. What's extraordinary about this is that what Jesus did when he said, Father, forgive them, ladies and gentlemen, the Father just did it. God was satisfied to give all, to, to credit Jesus with all of our sin, to blame him for what we did. That's extraordinary to me. He blamed Jesus for what you and I did. And Jesus carried it all the way through. And it was finished. He said, it's finished. It's all done. So now... The right thing for God to do, the just thing now, is to extend now the benefits of what you, the mercy and deem you innocent, not guilty anymore, innocent of your sins. It's only the right thing to do now. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. Just? Seems like it would say he's faithful and merciful, but it says he's faithful and just. Because it's not just if God punishes you for what he punished Jesus for. Amen. He already punished him so that you can receive forgiveness. How this forgiveness flow that continues to, there, a fountain was opened up on that day when Jesus hung his head in death. A fountain of grace and love to all mankind. Moses killed an Egyptian. Why did he kill the Egyptian? Well, because he was beating one of his brothers. David had a man named Uriah killed because he slept with Uriah's wife and got her pregnant and was trying to cover the whole thing up. Paul had Christians killed because he was trying to defend his religion. And yet God completely forgave them. And not only forgave them, gave them a significant place in history. Their lives stand up as testimonies to us today. Your life is a testimony to the goodness of Almighty God because he forgot your sins That's why you can have hope to get up and continue to move forward even when you have sinned because God doesn't hold it against you. Are you hearing me today? This gives you hope to continue to go forward in God, not to condemn yourself and not to stay in this cycle of guilt and shame at God. He's not holding that against you. Move forward. Live out this testimony, this new testimony that you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Live out that life. Live out that reality. That old things are passed away and all things have been made new. That Jesus Christ made you blameless. He made you holy. He made you right with God. He brought peace. And what he's asking of you is that if you live in it, then walk in it. Since you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit too. It's the right thing to do. It's actually your new nature to do the right thing. 
He completely recreated you. You've been born all over again. You have a new name. Well, my dad did this, and my father, my grandfather done. We just, that's just how we do it. That's just, we all got that temper, you know. No, you got a new nature. You have a new nature. Your heavenly father, thank God you ain't got your heavenly father's temper before Jesus. Ah, you have peace with God. Think about this for me. I want you to just look, just a couple of scriptures here. This is, this is amazing to me. That David, look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Let's talk about David for a moment. David, now David was a good man. He did a lot of wonderful things for God. But that one thing is, that's tough, right? That really puts a mark on the old record, doesn't it? He had a man killed because he got that man's wife pregnant. So he just got rid of him. All right? And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Did David do all God's will? Did he tell David to go kill Uriah so that he could cover up his sin? Is that God's will? Well, no. But in the New Testament, all God sees is that David did what he's supposed to do. See, this is what Jesus' blood did for us. It gave us a new story. It gave us a new life. He said, he'll do all my will. Wow, did God just quit looking? Does he not read 1 Kings anymore? (laughs) All right, let's let's, let's go on. Let's look at this one. Look at at, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, what did Moses do? What did I say that he did? Murdered somebody, right? By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. This ain't the Moses I read about in Exodus. Well, this is, this is, this is a nice little... Uh, list of wonderful things of him. Look at this. He esteeming the reproach of Christ. Did Moses know Christ? Really? God, it sounds like you might just be exaggerating the point a little bit. Sounds like you might be exaggerating just a little bit. All right, let's see. If you want to forget the sin, but why do you have to add all this other stuff like, like this is what he was really doing? Moses was running for his life. He was scared of Pharaoh. He was afraid because he just got through killing an Egyptian. He fled to the desert for 40 years. And this says that he has seen the approach of Christ, greater riches than treasures in Egypt. And he looked to the reward. And he, he would rather be with the people of God than the passing pleasures of sin. That's not the story I read. But that's the story God sees. Because his son died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. It looks like God has rose-colored glasses on when it comes to his people. It just looks like, according to him, they can just do no wrong. I don't know about you, but that does something really good to me today. Let's look at one more. Look at Abraham. Romans chapter 4. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's not true. He did too. He did too. 
There's a guy named Ishmael that showed that he wavered. God promised him a son. So he said, okay, how can I help God out in the process? That's what he did. So he wasn't fully believing what God said. So he took Hagar, Sarah offered Hagar, the handmaid, for him to have relations with. And so they conceived Ishmael. Not in God's plan. But this says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I'm amazed at that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Jesus, who died for our sins, who was buried, who rose again the third day, Abraham got a new story. And this is the story. He believed God and didn't waver. So forget about the process it took him to get to that place. God only remembers that he did it. As far as he's concerned, that's all he needs to remember. As far as God's concerned, all he needs to remember about you is that you got up and you keep going. That you walk this forgiveness out. That you choose to live holy even as you are holy. That you choose to live right because you are right. Are you hearing me? It's It's what thrusts us into our destiny. It's what helps us be who we are when we know who we are. Amen. See, it's that simple. You be who you are and do what you do. Because your life is not defined by what you do or don't do. It's defined by Jesus Christ. Amen. We are now in him. Yeah. So everything about you is identified in him. Yes. Very good. Now you can sit here and think about all the things you've done. All the wrong things that you've done, the things you've said, the wretched thoughts that have gone through your mind, maybe even in this service today. So it's funny, I found that one of the tricks of the devil is to get people to think the most unholy thoughts when they're in church. So that they'll feel bad about themselves. So that they won't engage in worship because they, oh my God, there's no way I can lift my hands after thinking like that. Come on, am I talking to you today or what? I mean... I have found that to be true. But I want to remind you that there's an enemy out there who's accusing you and saying these things. And he puts those thoughts in there. And you can either go, oh my God, I'm such a wretched person. Or go, no, I'm not going to think on that. That's not who I am. I'm going to praise God. Amen. Abram believed God. Abraham believed God. I want to finish with this. Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham. I want to just show you something really powerful here. This will help you because our, our faith in God is a process. This walk of faith is a, it's a walk. It's not a run. It's not a fly. It's a walk. It, that is one foot in front of the other. It's a walk of faith. All right? My advice to you is just to keep walking. Yes. Keep walking. By faith. All right? It's one foot in front of the other. Abram, God comes to him in Genesis 15 and says, what does it say? Genesis 15, verse 1. So he, nope. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. 
All right, I hear you what you're saying, but I know what I'm seeing is what he was saying. I hear what you're saying, but I know what I'm seeing. And I'm not seeing what you're saying. So, God told him, get out of your tent. So, Abraham walked outside, Abram at this time. And, he's, and it was apparently nighttime because God said, look up, look at the stars. That's your seed. That's your descendants. That's how, if you can count them, that's how many kids you're going to have. And the scripture says that Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, Abram started at this infant stage of faith that went like this. I've got to see it before I believe it. You said it, I don't see it. I need to see something. All right? It is faith, but it's, a, it's, the, it's the beginning of faith. All right? Now watch. Now look over chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am now. By this point, Ishmael's been born, he's already left the house, and Isaac has been born with what God promised that he would have, all right? Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and Abram went from Abraham to Abraham because God changed his name. I came to bachelor these things, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So what's God's word to Abraham at this point? Take now your son, the one I promised you, your only son, as far as I'm concerned, and take him and go sacrifice him on whatever mountain I tell you. All right? Now watch Abraham's response. So Abraham got up early in the morning. Oh, this is not the same Abraham that was back in Genesis 15. Because God spoke to him before and he said, what are you going to He immediately argued with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah? What, I don't see it. What are you going to give me? He began to question what God was saying. Here, he gets up early to go obey him. In the morning, and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go. Come on, say it, southern people. Yonder. I, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Hang on a second. Did God tell Abraham that him and Isaac would return? No. no. He told him, the only word he had from God was, go sacrifice your son on the mountain. That's all Abraham knows. The lad and I are going to worship. And boy, are we ever going to worship. Isaac had no idea what kind of worship service they were about to have. And we will come back to you. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Mm. There's Jesus. And took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Something ain't adding up, Dad. <laughs> I see fire and I see wood. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Because last I checked, we sacrificed lambs. And there ain't one here. I'm getting a little nervous about this worship service you were talking about. Next. Abraham said, my God, God will provide, my son, my God will provide, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Did God tell Abraham that he was going to provide a lamb for the offering or did he say he was going to sacrifice his son? Which is it? Is Abraham just flat out lying to his son? Or is he walking by faith? Yeah. 
So now Abraham is not having to see it to believe it. He's believing it before he sees it. This man is strengthened in faith. He's growing up in faith. Hallelujah. Now watch. God, so the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Right after he said he's going to provide a, a lamb, he laid his son. He bound his son and laid him on the altar. I mean, can you imagine what's going through Isaac's mind here? And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. I think that's kind of interesting. People say God knows everything. But here God says, now I know something. Now I know that you fear God. Well, God, if you know everything, didn't you already know that? God can know everything. I think he, I, I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But I think there are times that he just chooses not to know. And I'm really grateful because he doesn't know I sinned and he doesn't know you sinned. So he doesn't know everything, not because he can't, but because he chooses not to. And we're all the better for it. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now watch what happens. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. What happened? Abraham got what he said he was going to have. And they did that, and guess what happened? Him and the lad did return to the service, and he got what he said he was going to have. Before he saw it, he said it. And if you're going to see your life, if you're going to see you living for God, then you're going to have to say what God has said about you. You're going to have to understand that you are an answer to prayer, that God has forgiven you of all your sins, that you are right now as holy as you're ever going to be. You are right now as righteous as you are ever going to be. You're already in a seated place in heaven next to Jesus Christ himself. You are as right with God right now as ever before. And if you'll begin to say what God has said about you, then you will begin to live out that reality. Let's, let's pray for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. Father. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.